Well, we're, uh, we're continuing a, a sermon series this week titled The Beginning, and it's a, a six-week series that is taking us through the first chapter in Mark's gospel, and we'll, we'll hear the scripture in just a moment, but I, I just want to kind of frame this up for us. Uh, the series is called The Beginning because of uh, the first verse of Mark's gospel that says this, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah, the prophet. That verse telegraphs the primary purpose of Mark's gospel, which is to reveal to us that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is that child promised long ago by God in the Old Testament. And in that effort to reveal Jesus as Messiah, the first chapter of Mark includes some big themes and and overarching Uh, areas of focus for Jesus' ministry. It helps us understand who he was and what he was going to be about. And likewise, since we're called as his followers to grow to be more like him and to grow in our ability to do the kinds of things that Jesus did, all of those big overarching themes are very important for us and our understanding of our life in Christ. And let's not miss that part. The New Testament is very clear that when a human being comes to Jesus and places their trust in him that by God's grace and through faith in Jesus, we're united with Christ and and we find ourselves in Christ. And, And that has substantial meaning for us. Last week, we looked at the first big theme or actually a couple in Mark's gospel, identity and temptation. And if you were with us, you remember that we looked at those words that God spoke over Jesus at his baptism. God said this to Jesus, You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. And and we understood from that that if if we are in Christ by faith in Jesus, right, we can hear those words that God spoke over Jesus as words that God speaks over us. You are my son, you are my daughter, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. So some of these things in the first chapter of Mark are are examples that we can imitate, you know, examples Jesus gives us that we might imitate to become more like him or to grow in our ability to do the things that he did. And others are realities into which we need to live because we are in Christ by grace and through faith. That identity piece being one of them. You know, they represent territory that's already been given to us and our work is to occupy that territory and live in it fully as, as God really intends. So last week we looked at identity and temptation. This week we look at Jesus' message and disciples. So before we read the scripture, let me pray for us. Father, please open our eyes and our ears to your word as we hear it. May your word be our rule, your spirit, our teacher, and the glory of Jesus, our single concern. We pray in his name. Amen. Mark 1, 14 through 20. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Leah. You know, whenever there's a big public launch of something, everybody knows that the timing of the launch is very important. You know, a mistimed launch can sink a good product. Uh, example, Corona USA, you know, the maker of Corona beer, launched a new product last year. Corona Hard Seltzer hit the market on February 24th, 2020. <laughs> Just about two weeks before the coronavirus was declared a global pandemic. <laughs> yeah, that, that didn't go so well. Uh, the timing of a launch is very important. And so is the venue, you know, the, the location of the big announcement. Location matters. You want to make sure you get the backdrop right because that, that communicates something about your message and, and what you're trying to do and, and say. What came to mind was an environmental protection Uh, 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 effort, you know, announced on, on a stage in Denali National Park in Alaska with the big uh, mountain Denali in the background. You know, it, it communicates a message. Location matters. Also at a launch, the primary message to be delivered is reviewed over and over to make sure the key ideas are on point and crystal clear. You know, the launch of something is important, timing and location and message. Back in a seminary preaching class, I remember our teacher saying this of sermons, well begun, half done. And I thought, that is very wise. Not just of sermons, but of a lot of stuff. You know, the launch of something, the beginning of something is so important, it very well might be half the work, right? And, and what we have in the text today is the launch of Jesus' public ministry. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. You know, that, that first phrase, after John was put in prison, represents the pivot point in all of the Gospels. You know, John's ministry came to a close because he was arrested. And from this point on, what John the Baptist had foreseen actually took place. Remember, he said of Jesus, he must increase and I must decrease. And that's exactly what we see in all of the Gospels. So... Jesus launched his public ministry. He chose the location very carefully. Galilee. What? I mean, think about the choice of location for a second. It, it wasn't Jerusalem, the spiritual, intellectual, cultural capital of Israel. It was Galilee, the small kind of settler region west of the Sea of Galilee, considered insignificant, on the national stage. If location matters, what did this location communicate? See, I think launching in Galilee says multiple things. First, this is a message in contrast to the religious establishment in Jerusalem. This message is not that. And also, this message is for everyday people. No special qualifications needed. And then Jesus went on to announce the message itself. He went to Galilee to proclaim the good news of God. And we need to clarify exactly what we're talking about here because in the original language, good news of God did not mean good news about God. It meant good news that belongs to God and is from God. 
So Jesus went to Galilee to deliver a message that belonged to God and was from God. That wasn't news about God. This was news from God. So what's the news? The time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. You know, the time has come. Here's the timing of the launch, right? We've got timing, location, and message now all, all in one. Uh, the, the timing was right. Now, if you're a fifth regular, you have probably heard me share this before. I've shared it multiple times. There are two Greek words for time, chronos and kairos. From the Greek word chronos, we get our English word chronology, which talks about a description of the passing of time or placing things on the timeline of history. Chronos is that kind of time. Kairos is a different kind of time entirely. It's a special moment. It literally means critical or opportune moment. So Kairos moments are, are significant in that if they are embraced, they have power to redirect our lives. They are opportune, meaning they present to us opportunities. We might call them tipping points. Uh, we might call them points of inflection when our life is going this way. And if embraced, the Kairos moment might cause our lives to go that way. They can be big, they can be small, but they are all important and represent an opportunity. This Kairos moment happened to be a very, very big one. It was God's Kairos moment. Here's what the scripture says in another place. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. What, what a thing that everyone everywhere might hear the words that God spoke over Jesus as, at his baptism as words that God is speaking over them. You know, adoption to sonship, becoming a child of God by spiritual adoption. Jesus told us that that time had come in him and then he shared the news from God. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. That was it. That was the entire launch message. The, the perfect time, long awaited throughout history, the time had fully come, the location just as Jesus selected, and the message. That, that was the message. And that is the message. The kingdom of God has arrived here, right now. The, the kingdom of God, meaning any place where what God prefers is what actually happens and any place in any heart or person where Jesus is reigning and ruling, where Jesus is leading and directing, that's the kingdom of God. And that kingdom has come near. Now, now meaning, not close in a theoretical way. Some translations actually say the kingdom of God is at hand, meaning closer than your hand. Right here is what it means. So the content of the good news from God 
is that God's kingdom has come near to us. So what does that mean? That means we don't have to work for it. We don't have to go on a long and arduous journey to find it. We don't have to make ourselves fit for it before entering it. We don't have to wonder if God is real. We don't have to wonder if God cares. We don't have to wonder what God is like. We don't have to wonder what's true and what's false about God. We don't have to choose our own spirituality based on the flimsy whim of personal preference. Why? Because the kingdom of God has begun on earth and we can live in it now. We know this is true because Jesus, the king of that kingdom, told us himself in person. And he invites all of us, calls us even, to join him in his work. Remember that phrase from the Lord's Prayer that we prayed earlier. You know, Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's recruiting us to help pray in the kingdom of God to earth. He doesn't want us to keep this message of the kingdom coming near to ourselves. This is good news for every human being everywhere. Jesus says we're co-workers. The Bible actually uses that word. Scripture calls us ambassadors of this message, appointed and empowered to share this good news from God with others on behalf of Jesus and with Jesus' authority. We'll talk about that authority thing next week. See, the good news from God is that God's kingdom has begun on earth and we can live in it now, right now. But the kingdom of God, uh, in the kingdom of God, everything is as it ought to be. But that doesn't mean everything in the world is as it ought to be because God's kingdom is an already not yet kind of thing. You know, it has begun but hasn't yet fully come. Jesus inaugurated the kingdom. We catch glimpses of it. You know, when we allow Jesus to rule in our own hearts, to have direction and, and, and leadership in our own lives, and when we seek to walk in, the, in step with the Holy Spirit, we see the kingdom best. But the kingdom hasn't yet fully arrived. That will happen when Jesus returns. You know, I had, I had two funerals this week. Our dear brother Bernie Zoot died to this life, and uh, Mark Dornboss's father, Fred, died, and I, I had that funeral also this week. At both of those services, at some point in the service, we read from Revelation 21. Let's not forget that vision of God's kingdom fully come. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. See, in God's kingdom, everything is as it should be and that kingdom is at hand. It's close. Now, lest this be all theoretical, let's apply the reality that God's kingdom has come near to the last couple weeks in our country. What does this truth mean for followers of Jesus in these times? We could probably talk all afternoon, right? 
here are just a few. The kingdom of God is not marked by confusion and cynicism. I mean, God's kingdom truth is clear. And when I hear people saying, I I don't know what to believe, or I don't believe anybody anymore, I, I know that there's struggle. You know, I see in that the clashing of two kingdoms, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. You know, Christians know whom to believe. And therefore, we know that we stand on a very firm foundation. God is not a God of confusion and and cynicism. The kingdom of God is a Christian's primary place of citizenship. I mean, if you're both a, a Christian and a citizen of the United States, I hope this truth is very clear to you. You do not reside first in the representative republic of the United States of America. You reside first in the kingdom of God. And and this is not just a cute idea to kick around on Sundays. This is the truth about you and your residency if you're a Christian. You know, you really live first in the kingdom of God. And our behavior and words ought to demonstrate that because the kingdom has a king to whom we owe primary allegiance. You can pledge allegiance to the flag, but if that ever, ever replaces or begins to somehow vie with your allegiance to King Jesus, you've stepped away from the kingdom, right? As Christians, we don't do that. Kingdom people are marked by the fruit of the Spirit. And this is actually, it's pretty simple, right? If you want to know what kind of tree you're looking at, look at the fruit. I mean, if you see love, joy, peace, forbearance, wow, that one will get you on it. Remember forbearance, bearing with one another in love, even when you completely disagree with them and they're annoying you entirely? That's what forbearance means. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If if you're looking at that kind of fruit, you're looking at kingdom of God stuff. However, if you see hate, discouragement, discord, intolerance, animosity, corruption, disloyalty, harshness, and instability, well, you know what you're looking at, right? That's kingdom of darkness stuff. And when you see that stuff as a Christian, our response isn't to wring our hand and say, oh no, it's all coming undone. Our response is to say, what an opportunity. What an opportunity for us to step in and by the Holy Spirit's guidance demonstrate an entirely different way to live. The Jesus way. Right? A pouring out of our lives like a drink offering. Do you understand what that image really means? Think of an altar at the temple, burning hot, and you have a flask of fluid and you dump it. It's evaporated instantaneously, gone. A pouring out of our lives like a drink offering for people still in their sin whom God loves 
and wants to come to know and worship him. That's what Christians do. Kingdom people demonstrate through their behavior and words the self-sacrificing love of Jesus. Violence in action and speech is it's out for kingdom people. Right? Jesus could have turned to violence, but he didn't. You know, villainizing or demonizing others is out. When you do that, even in small ways in your living room when you're watching the news, for guilty as charged, you stepped away from God's kingdom, which has come near and in which God wants everyone everywhere to be saved. That's where we catch God's heart for people. You know, in the kingdom of God, perfect love casts out fear. There's there's a Psalm 46 kind of spiritual foundation in God's kingdom that says this, God is our refuge and strength and an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. You know, in the kingdom of God, love casts out fear and there's tremendous security. Kingdom people do what the Bible tells us to do, understanding the reason the Bible gives us for doing it. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Very interesting, isn't it? How close the pairing between praying for all of those in authority and the announcement of God's will that it's his desire that all people be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. You know, people in authority make a big difference in our everyday life and God wants everyone everywhere to know him, including them. To know Christ in ways that transform us to become more like him and to grow in our ability to do the things that Jesus did. So let's pray that for all of our leaders, not just the ones you like or agree with, for all of our leaders and those in authority. I mean, this this message of Jesus that God's kingdom has come near uh, can and does have very real impact on our moment-by-moment experience in life, every every day, daily kind of life, because it changes us. It helps us know where God is It helps us know that God is empowering us by his spirit to be present in this world in the way Jesus would be. I mean, the list just goes on. The kingdom of God has come near. So so the big launch was perfectly timed, intentionally located, and conveyed a simple nine-word message that would change the world. Right after the big launch, Jesus began calling his own disciples. And this was unheard of, by the way. Rabbis waited to receive applications from would-be disciples. They didn't go out recruiting. They never did that. I mean, I'll give you the quick background. In the the educational process in in Judaism, there were multiple kind of drop points 
where students would be dropped along the line if they weren't considered worthy to go to the next step. But if a, if a student made it all the way through all of those, they would be allowed to make applications to a rabbi, and they would, they would submit applications to rabbis with whom they wanted to study, with the goal being for them to become like the rabbi, not just to be taught the information the rabbi knows, but they wanted their whole life to become like that rabbi. And a rabbi would only accept a student if the rabbi believed that the student could become like him. If a rabbi came to that point believing that an applicant would make a suitable disciple because that person could become like the rabbi with the rabbi's help, the acceptance letter from rabbi to applicant was universal. It was boilerplate, very simple. It was one phrase, come, follow me. And when any applicant heard those words, they understood the rabbi to be saying, hey, you know, with my help, I believe that you can be like me. So when those fishermen in the backwater village along the Sea of Galilee in the, in the region of Galilee heard Jesus say to them, come follow me, they were astounded because they'd been dropped long ago by their religious establishment and the spiritual development process, right? Somewhere along the line, somebody said, hey, you know what? Yeah, yeah, the rabbi thing's not for you, so, you know, fishing, go back to the family business. That, that would be good for you. And here comes Jesus. Come, follow me, which meant, hey, I think that you, with my help, can be like me. So come along. Jesus calls all of us in, in that way. I hope you know that. And when Jesus called you, when at some point in your life, be it either you fully internalizing the faith of your, of your parents and professing your faith or coming to faith later in life like I did, when you, you heard in some way Jesus saying, come, follow me, Jesus was saying to you, I believe that with my help, you can be like me. That's the whole point of this thing. But the call doesn't end there. Right? Jesus said, come follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. I mean, this, this call isn't just for you, Jesus is saying. I want you on my team so that you can help me in my goal, my purpose in this world to help all people everywhere see and hear the gospel. And I want them to see it through you, and I want them to hear it from you. The good news of God, that God's kingdom on earth has begun, and that by God's grace and through faith in Jesus, we can live in that kingdom right now, this very moment. I can think of nothing our world needs more today than an army of Jesus ambassadors walking in step with the Spirit, demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit in word and deed, sharing God's love through sacrifice of self and announcing the message that God's kingdom is here right now and that King Jesus is calling everyone everywhere with the same words he used to call his very first disciples and the same words he used to call you and me. Come, follow me. So, let the one who is thirsty 
Come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Pray with me. God, we thank you and we bless you that you have not only brought your kingdom near to us, but you allow us to know that and to experience your kingdom, to live in it now in in some small way like we will forever. So God, by your spirit, help us to see that. Help us to become more and more the kingdom people you created us to be. By your spirit, fill us with the fruit of the spirit, not just a kind of a one-time experience here and there, but shape our whole selves, our our character, our personality, uh, shape our words and, and our behavior by your goodness and by your spirit. God, thank you that your kingdom has come near. We bless you for that and we worship you. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.